Hey, you're listening to the first episode of the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. Myself, Michael Waldman, and Kate Kulzik will be talking about the first episode, as well as, since they are Game of Thrones veterans, we'll be comparing the books to the TV series and sort of looking at how they're adapting it so far. Hey, you're listening to the first official episode of the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast. My name is Simon Howell. I'm joined by Miss Kate Kulzik. Hello. And Mr. Wicklebottom. Wow. Michael <laughs> Waldman. Mr. Wicklebottom. <laughs> you were going to say Wicklebottom. No, Should we start to... again or do you want was, to capture no, this piece no, of No, I'm going to capture this moment. I was actually going to call you Michael Maldman, but I guess. Now we'll never know. We'll, we'll never know. So yes, uh, with that bit of unfortunate silliness out of the way, how are you guys doing? I'm good. I, I'm just a little disappointed that my work schedule and some of our other scheduling issues have required us to delay a little bit because uh, I've been really looking forward to talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to try to figure out a way to do this on possibly Mondays so that we can get this out a little bit closer to when the episodes actually air, but we're still working that out. Also, Mr. Ricky D should be joining us for future episodes, possibly, and I might not be joining it. The, the lineup is going to be a little bit fluid, but for now, this is the personnel uh, list you're dealing with. So, Michael, have we had you on to discuss Game of Thrones before? I feel like we have. I think I was on an episode last season, and uh, I have read all the books, and I plan to spoil seasons that aren't going to be on the air until 2017 for viewers tonight. So, no, I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna put it out there: the fate of Meereen is in doubt. People don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, so, so actually, yeah, let's get that straight first. I haven't read the books. So that makes me actually the only ignoramus in this digital room. Well, I've only read the first like three and a bit books because I stopped at some point in four. I got busy and had to stop and I haven't gotten back to it yet, uh, though that will be on my summer reading list, uh, definitely. So I, I know some of the stuff that Michael knows or Mike knows, but not everything. So. Okay, so Michael, that sort of makes you King Joffrey, right? <laughs> it's great. I'm going to mention characters people have never heard of and then tell you what happens to them uh, in <laughs> three years. <laughs> so yes, the North remembers our, uh, our, our first episode back. And Michael, since you're such a goddamn expert, you, you'd, you'd already read the books when the show started or you read them between seasons? Uh, well, the first book is the first season, very yeah. or very very close to it, um, and I after that I read the, all the rest of them in this fit, obsessive fit, and they are so laboriously long. Like I can't stress enough, they are just really long. That's mostly my remembrance of them is that they're really long, and that R. R. Martin clearly hates women more than like most serial killers that kill women for a living. Um, but other than that. Um, what what I found interesting about the first episode right away is that there are a lot of departures being made from the book like right off the bat. They're summarizing things that took like six six or seven hundred pages to summarize in a scene or two that 
that aren't that isn't in the book, but that's clearly designed to summarize those things. Whereas the first season was very much like verbatim the book, it looks like they're going to start departing from that really quickly. That's interesting because I, I, that was what I heard all throughout the first season that they were sticking very very closely to the source material. So for them to start sort of getting gutsier with it now is interesting. Of course, I also keep hearing that season three is going to have to be divided into multiple se- uh, it, rather book three is going to have to be divided into multiple seasons because it's so insane. Do you think that's true? Um, yeah, probably. Also, it seems clear that they're going to have to dumb down some of the, the books quickly get so intensely dark, almost to the point of it being a little bit cartoon often. It's like, it's like John Irving times 50. Every character undergoes a horrible series of, of misfortunes and just brutal, terrible things. And they're just not going to be able to do that on television. So it's clear right away, I think, from the first episode that they're going to change a lot and that it's going to be really necessary to, uh, to amend the books. Like, for instance, the, the character of this, the prostitute that's close to Lord Baelish, she's not in the book. Uh, she's literally not a character, at least not that I remember. So they're clearly using her to illuminate other plot lines or character elements that took a long time to develop otherwise. Which of the, I mean, we meet a whole bunch of new characters uh, this this episode. Personally, the one that left the biggest impression for me was, um, it do, is it Melisandre or Melisandre? Melisandre. Melisandre, who's played by Carice Van Houten, who uh, is awesome. And she is absolutely kicking ass already. And I, I'm just wondering... Kate, you've you've read uh, the second book. Is this a character we're going to see a, a whole lot of action out of? Yes, <laughs> to put it simply. Actually, I I would disagree. I don't think feel like they changed a lot of the book. I feel like they condensed a lot from the book. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would be very actually. I'd be incredibly surprised if season two changed very much from the book at all. But I, I expect them to condense things, and particularly a lot of the battle sequences, I have a feeling, will be off-screen. But yes, they're definitely moving the, the, the pace forward. Um, we're, we meet Stannis and Davos and Mel- Melisandre a lot sooner than we do in the book, as I recall, at least. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Mike. Um, and yes, she's definitely going to figure prominently. Um, and there's... I feel like season one or book one really establishes uh, your your main characters, and season two, the the characters that they introduce, at least for me, the the most significant ones, with one exception really, uh, are are the women. And so Melisandre figures very prominently. A character we will meet, I assume, next week. Uh, Brienne features very prominently. There's, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So uh, maybe I guess. That that character, well, no, no, the one that we meet this week, with all the wives. Oh, uh, Crofter. Yeah, he he's gonna be around a little bit, but um, for me, I don't know. I'm curious what what you got what you would have to say about this, Mike. But for me, book two is all about the women. I, I agree. Uh, I think it is all about the women. Um, a lot of that, like I said, started to make me uncomfortable in the books because I think R. R. Martin has some really really weird shit with women. Um, but I thought that the performance from Alessandra so far has been really a little bit over the top. And I have found that in one episode, I thought a lot of the performances were a little bit more melodramatic than in the last season. Like all the stuff with Jorah Mormont and um, Danny in the desert is so angsty. 
Um, I don't know. I I felt like this first episode, maybe they're just getting their feet under them, but there was a lot of things that felt a little less mature than the last season. But that might also just be that there's more supernatural elements now that comes with maybe a slight sacrifice in maturity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also agree with Kate. I don't think anything fundamentally is being changed. But instead of having sort of a 300-page development, they have done some of those things in one scene that weren't necessarily in the book, but that served the same purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that's interesting to me is that, of course, with uh, with Ned Stark long gone, we sort of lose... I mean, obviously, he was also you know, naive and a fool and all this stuff, but he was sort of the closest the show had to sort of a typical alpha male hero and now there's there's there is sort of a a gap there we're sort of meant to just sort of take in the ensemble uh is is there someone who sort of emerges in that central role like can we it it sort of seems like maybe that's going to be Tyrion, but is that actually the case i could answer but spoilers ah at least as far as i'm concerned (laughs) the the short answer really too is is no. I mean, I think that's the thing about Ned Stark dying at the first is the rest of the books are much more of a, like a fragmented sort of telling of what's happening in the world now um, without spoiling anything and, you know, without saying that entirely. Some characters are more important than others and they're certainly central or characters, but I think it is much more of a fragmented narrative from here on out. I, I would say in Season two, if you're looking for who will rise, of course, Tyrion is such an amazing character. He has a lot to do and everything that I've read. So I assume for quite a bit uh, that he will be a very interesting character. And of course, Dinklage does such a great job, uh, Peter Dinklage, in the role. Um, The thing that what I really like about the second book and what I anticipate really enjoying the second season are the ways that certain characters are shaded and your perception of them, and there's one in particular who I won't mention, but fans of the book will know who I'm talking about. Uh, your perception of, of a few characters really shifts. Um, and and that works really well in the book based on the the first uh, person narration, uh, just the way that the, the book is written. But I, I look forward to seeing how they address that um, in 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 the season. But as far as just the premiere goes, I thought it was really good. And they did a really great job of catching you up on the world on where everybody left off and where they are now. And I don't know, I, I didn't have any trouble with the performances. I didn't feel like it was any less mature. Um, and I, I felt like the, the scenes with the Kalisar, while maybe it was a more heightened situation, I think it really showed the desperation of Danny and uh, Jorah at the moment. And I don't know, for me, it worked. I agree with everything except, like, like I said, for me, uh, for me, there is the, the performances do seem a little bit more campy right now, um, and everything. I, I think there's also an element of a lot of the characters are a lot of the actors are hired so much for their looks um, because they fulfill a certain standard from book and stuff like that. That is very important. Um, I think with that, sometimes you sacrifice a little bit capability in the upper range so when you're asking actors like that to do really tense really emotionally wrought situations for me you end up occasionally with stuff that that, that pierces the bubble a little bit and then i end up sort of smirking out or rolling my eyes at but is there anyone um, in particular i know you've uh, always had a problem with Jon snow 
Oh, well, it's okay, but the, my problem with Jon Snow is simple. Jon Snow is played by an absolutely abominable actor. I mean, I think this is, like, uh, Jon Snow, I think I said last season that it was like he was slathered in shit when he was next to the good actors on the show. Um, uh, Danny's another one. Danny, you, you, you're hiring somebody that's, you know, that was willing to get naked over and over again in the first season. So you're probably, you know, that's that's an aspect of a, of a, of a character actor that you won't get. You won't get to draw from an enormously large group of actors that are willing to do that necessarily. So I think as a result, she often does come across, or the limits of her acting are on display a lot, especially in this first episode, for me at least. Oh, I think she's uh, great. I really liked her through most of season one. and I, I mean, I liked her in, in the premiere, but I don't think she had that much to do. I think she's fantastic in season one, so that's interesting. I look forward to seeing how that develops and you know if my opinion changes if your opinion changes over the course of the season although personally i thought basically all of her scenes for the first three or four episodes were pretty cringeworthy not necessarily because of her acting just because of you know the sort of cinemax equality that's exactly what i thought and i think maybe i never got past that a little bit yeah but it definitely, definitely colors uh, definitely colors the performance simon what did you think of the premiere I, I, I really dug it uh, of course i have no idea where any of this is headed actually no that's <clears> not true I do know that if you're they they're bringing in Neil Marshall to direct the second to last episode, and if they're doing that, I assume that means that there's going to be some chaos. There's <laughs> one enormous battle scene that I think everybody. There's been so much talk about it in the production too. I don't think it's a mystery. Well, yeah, they they got a they got a, a bump in the budget to accommodate mostly that. Although I think also I don't know if it's a matter of budget or just time, but the CGI seemed a little improved this week compared to last season. The, I was going to ask you guys the wolves what you thought about good. that. Like the wolves, did you did you feel that they were like? Did you? It seemed it seemed pretty good to me. I didn't have any moments where where it bothered me at all. Uh, nope. And that's but I was actually mainly thinking of the dragon because I I really wasn't too taken with the dragon effects last season, and they're they're still not perfect. But the the little dragon does seem to have a little bit more weight and presence now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, am I? Maybe they just didn't show the other ones. There were three dragons in the end last season, the last yes. scene of the last episode, right? Yes, this. They're not, they're not changing that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we just we only saw one of them. Now I was confused when they when they neglected to feed the horse to the dragon after it died because they specifically said it needed meat, and that Did seemed the... like a missed opportunity for horse bloodshed. Well, I, the horse didn't die. I don't think, right? The horse was, you know, out of collapse but i don't think we saw it actually die well no but they should they could probably put it out of its misery i think the implication is that it dies yeah, yeah. and that will they pulled a luck things you, will come you, up with that yeah exactly give it a little uh, time oh fair enough <laughs> uh but yeah I, I was i was definitely quite taken with the with the premiere i mean uh, it's really exciting to um my, my, the paradox of game of thrones for me and i brought this up before is that the fact that it's based so closely on a book series, I mean, clearly they're doing some condensing, but they, the whole outline is, is there for them. All the character arcs are laid out for them, such as they are. Um, it, it kind of takes away from some of the spontaneity of most TV productions. So, you, you know, you don't have people wrangling in writer's rooms with the, with the next move and worrying about what fans are going to think. And, and so I, I kind of miss that when I watch Game of Thrones. But on the other hand, there is something about having that assuredness that's quite refreshing as well well but i think a lot of fans haven't necessarily read the books i know anybody who was following the coverage of game of thrones online last year knows 
a lot of people did not know Ned was going to die. So I, right, I do yeah. think for a lot of the viewers, they're, they are still going to be very surprised by the course that the story takes. And so while for those who are more familiar with where the story is headed, maybe, you know, it's less spontaneous for us. But I think for a lot of the viewers, they, I don't know, I'm curious. That's an interesting point. But when I say spontaneous, I'm not, I, I mean, you can still tell, like, I haven't read the books, but mm-hmm. you, you don't have that tension of, of watching a showrunner or watching a writer's room really wrangle with, with their material in the same way. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can kind of sense that. Oh, well, I was actually going to ask Kate what she thought about that, because it's an interesting experience for me, because I, you know, you'll be introduced to a character and you know what happened to them such an enormously long arc down the road, too, by now, like. Having finished all the books, I know what happens to these people, you know, literally 4,000 pages of writing from now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never had that experience before. I mean, I've seen movies based on books and stuff. But like I said, I know what's going to happen on Game of Thrones 2017. Um, <laughs> like, that's, a, it's, that's sort of surreal. It's a strange experience. How is that coloring your viewing of it, Kate? I was very glad in watching the premiere that I was able to really enjoy the episode, uh, which may sound strange, but when I when I was watching season one, I had read the book not very long, only a few months before the season started. I wanted to make sure I read Martin's version before I saw the TV show. And so, um, so, so for me, it, it was a strange viewing experience in that I often felt like I was ticking boxes they didn't screw this up. They didn't screw this up. Okay, they did that right, as opposed to really engaging in the show itself. And so I was a little nervous about that happening again. But maybe just because I have a little more distance, I was able to really connect with the the characters in the episode. And I I actually I enjoy, especially when the the actors, if the actors know what arc their character is going to take, then if they are able to or interested in this they can they can map the the journey so so or foreshadow certain choices in their performance and this is something that i would also relate to for example harry potter um alan rickman's performance of snape um when of course those films were coming out before the books had even come out but uh joe rowling told told him what the character's arc was going to be so that he could layer in um, sh- shades to his performance that would let you know sort of where it was going mm-hmm. yeah, in retrospect. Sort of the, yeah, it's sort of the opposite of some, say, network dramas where they're where they're occasionally making stuff up as they go along and sometimes actors can get confused. Yeah, so for, for me, I actually enjoy that experience and, uh, and it's fun sort of... I, I feel like they do a good job of doing subtle nods to the audience who knows what's going to come without winking in such a way that those who don't know, you know, will, will, will feel it. So I think there are certain, um, unlike say in the walking dead where certain shots you can tell are directly lifted. And the reason that they used that shot was because it was a direct lift of a panel as opposed to, because it's what was best for the episode. I feel like in game of Thrones, there are moments where it's clearly a shout out to the, those who know the book but it doesn't distract for those who don't. And so I, I, I enjoy that experience. What, what about you, Michael? I, I think that's a really good point. I, I feel the same way. And uh, I also find that the small changes that are made, the condensing scenes, they at least, I don't know what's going to happen in that scene often. You know, there's enough of that that when the scene starts, like, 
the um, the bit with Balon Greyjoy and stuff like that that happens much earlier, uh, you know, than it than it would, and when they talk about that, and um, they're just scene to scene. I don't know what's going to happen minute to minute, which is which is fun. I mean, like you said, the first book and the first season was so verbatim that you you could expect everything. Um, and at least in this, the condensing, I think, keeps it interesting a little bit more for people that know the arcs. Um, and I think you're right. I think there's definitely little bits of foreshadowing to what's going to happen. They've also made a lot of decisions that were clearly made because they were cheaper, I've noticed. So, for instance, there's several characters with like, horrific deformities and stuff like that that they have chosen not to do. Um, they've chosen just to sort of make them really ugly or something like that. Uh, which I thought was interesting because in some cases, I, I get, clearly they're not going to do it, so there's no spoiler here, but the men in the cage that are threatening Arya, one of them in the book has literally no nose. His nose is just a cavity into his head. Um, so clearly they're not going to do that. But I, I'm, I'm wondering how many more... The world looks a lot more like a regular medieval world than the world depicted a little bit in my mind from the books which was a little bit more over the top. So that too is sort of an interesting surprise. And I think it's a little bit more personalizing and I kind of like it actually. Mm -hmm. uh, now, since you, since you guys have read the books, I have a book related question and maybe you guys won't remember, but we get a scene in this episode where Cersei uh, slaps Joffrey. And as you all know, images of Joffrey being slapped are very popular. <laughs> uh, to my mind, that doesn't happen in the book. Kate, Kate do you remember that happening? I feel like I do remember that happening, but you know, it's, it is sort of a blur. I read the book so quickly. I feel like if it's not a direct, if she doesn't actually physically slap him in the book, maybe she moves to slap him. But I do distinctly remember that moment from the book of being the moment when Cersei realizes, oh, crap, I really don't have control of this kid the way that I thought that I did. And so I feel like there's a moment, if not a, that, if not a direct lift, then one that's very similar. Now, the stuff with the killing of babies is done very differently in the show than it was in the book. Yeah. <laughs> okay, are we going to get into um, the girl? That details? was not, that basically wasn't in the book. Yeah. In the book, they're just after Gendry on the road, but there's no purge of babies in the city and stuff. So they're using that as a means, again, it's a, it's a perfect example of a device they're using instead of explaining a long series of events to led, that led to like a conflict that got Tyrion to said Janice Slint to the wall. Mm -hmm. Like that all unfolded very differently in the book. But to be honest, those are the moments in the books that I found very convoluted. When I watched the show, I'm like, oh, that was, that's actually a lot simpler and more elegant and shorter. I try to remember how that happened in the book and I can't because I think it was just a very long series of events. Well, in the, in the book, they never explicitly state that Gendry is uh, a bastard of Robert. Um, you intuit it early in book one, or not early, I should say, about the midway point in book one when Ned figures it out. But yeah. they never actually state it, and it never it never is that. The, so, so I actually prefer sort of the way that the, the approach in the book just because it allows the, you, the reader to sort of, you know, figure a few things out themselves and piece the puzzle together. Um, also, I think that just, but I feel like that has more to do with, again, the narration style in the book where, because there's none of the characters that we follow would be in the scene where they would talk about that. That's why we don't see it. Um, Absolutely. So. And I, I think they're going to do a lot of that because 
I think that there's just not enough time in 10 episode seasons to let viewers come to the kind of conclusions you could in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like the book, each book is well over a thousand pages for people that haven't read it. So characters are developed very slowly. Um, and that's not a bad thing, but there's a huge volume of them and that you can manage them because it's such a long book. But I think for anybody not who hasn't read the book, the volume of characters and different motivations and allegiances must be overwhelming. I think they're going to have to spoon feed people a lot more uh, in terms of, at least in terms of motivations. Well, they've already renamed um, one of the characters that we're going to meet this season. Just be- Her name was Asha, which is yeah. just really similar to Arya. And I remember reading the books. It was confusing to me. And that was with the written word. So I, I believe they renamed her something else. And I know, Simon, what was it? What was that experience like for you getting thrown all of these new characters? I think they're they're handling it fairly well. Obviously, as someone who's not read the books, I, I'm always excited when when shows are willing to have a whole lot of characters who are at sort of cross purposes and there's no real clear outcome. We're sort of experiencing mm-hmm. that unjustified right now. Yeah. Which is uh which has been very exciting. And this is sort of like that writ much, much larger. I, I do like the unpredictability of it, especially since also, you know, Tyrion might be the most sympathetic or the most care, or at least the most charismatic character right now. But he's also he's obviously uh, in in a line against you know the the folks from the north who are very sympathetic. So that puts viewers in sort of an unusual position. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just watching this series, you just kind of want Tyrion to switch sides and join up with the Starks that you can fully root for them, except that if he did, you wouldn't respect him anymore because one of his most endearing traits is his uh, loyalty to particularly his brother, but his family in general. So, yeah, it, it's great to have such moral complexity to to the characters on the, on the TV show and to really not know who you want to win. Yeah, and I think that's going to get uh, really interesting, especially as we sort of get more into a a full-on war situation, which I expect will happen, or I, I've been basically told will happen. <laughs> now, we are running towards the end of our time. Are there any specific uh, things that you guys want to mention about the episode that we haven't touched on yet? I'd like to mention it's still shocking. Like, I just watched the first season on DVD for the first time, and for people that haven't watched the show that are for some reason listening to the first episode of a season two podcast, the production values are shocking. Like, they're just crazy. Every scene, like you see people sitting at a table eating bread and you're like, wow, that looks really expensive. Um, (laughs) Like everybody's wearing actual smithed armor in this scene. Um, Everything looks really, really expensive. And that bodes very well because shit's about to get real expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and it's going to get expensive this season. And we mentioned, you know, the battle on the Blackwater that's been, you know, talked about all season, the big battle in episode nine, I think. But that's going to look really small compared to stuff that's, you know, all, you know, a lot of stuff that's going to happen with Danny and a lot of stuff behind the wall and all that stuff that they've been foreshadowing for, you know, a couple of seasons. It's even more expensive than people that haven't read the book can possibly imagine. So. Mm-hmm. It's good that HBO is willing to really sink a lot of money into that because as soon as the show started, after I read the books, that was my first thought was, are they are they going to be able to afford this? Because it's really going to cost a lot. Well, and luckily for that, luckily for HBO viewership is way up from last season. Yeah, it was six million, right, for the premiere. Uh, when you yeah, when you factor in the 
additional viewings. Yeah, it's it's over six million, which for them is a huge number. Yeah, yeah, so. It, it's so it, it's so great to hear that the the show is uh, popular and successful, and that which you know theoretically means it'll be around for a while. So I, I really look forward to watching the rest of the season and watching the next three seasons after that. Yeah, well, we'll see. I guess the test will be how many seasons will it be renewed for when it gets renewed. I, I, I noticed uh, Alan Steffenwell talking about that this morning. And what will happen to Penny and her pig? Introduced in season four, boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. good times. The, the last thing I wanted to mention is because Kate and I always talk about kids on TV mm-hmm. because uh, there's, it's, there's sort of a duel going on between horrible young actors and great young actors. And I just want to give some props to Jack Gleason, who's just so perfectly hateable. Oh, he's as, so as great. Joffrey. He's so good. <laughs> How old is that actor? Does anybody know? IMDb doesn't list his age because they want to protect him from people like me. Oh, excellent. Uh, so he's like so, under 16. That's, yeah. that's impressive. I was worried maybe he was like one of those 17 or 18-year-olds that just looked 12 or something. <clears throat> um, but uh, there's... I, I'm trying to think if there's going to be a lot more child performances. Not that I can really think of. Um, well, a long way down the line, maybe. They've done really well with their casting. I mean, last season we saw Maisie Williams was just fantastic uh, in, in her scenes. It's of course Arya. I believe I believe that's her name, Maisie Williams. And Sansa is far from my favorite character in the books. I actually kind of hate her <laughs> in the books, but I really love the performance that we get Dude, from I from like her. her way more in the show than in the books. She's far more endearing and far more just because I think it's because of the physicality of that performance of she spends so much of her time not speaking and not constantly pushing back her actual emotions and what she's dealing with. And in a book that doesn't work as well, as opposed to in a TV show when you can just have a a shot of her face and it tells you everything you need to know. So they got they got lucky and they did well casting and also we haven't really seen very much of Rickon, but they've you know they've they've done a good job with that in that if if we don't know if if he's a bad actor they have not used him mm-hmm. <laughs> and if he's a good actor they have not used him because they haven't needed to yet so right well I'll be very curious to see how that develops all right so kids we will uh, do this again next week and talk about the second episode possibly Ricky D will join us possibly I won't be here. Yeah, it's unpredictable, just like the show we're talking about. <laughs> just like Belwa's Strongbow. <laughs> exactly. <So>. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so uh, thank you for joining me. We're going to take it out with uh, a Deus song that I think is thematically appropriate. Thanks, guys. And uh, do visit soundonsite.org because we got all kinds of stuff going up all the time. Yeah, and and uh, follow me on Twitter at the Televerse and uh, shoot me a, a, a tweet when if you want to talk about Game of Thrones. Excellent. And, and I'm not on Twitter, so people looking to find me there are going to be disappointed. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening. <laughs>